0: Uh, Last year, Queen Elizabeth II died. Uh, With her passing, we saw some of the historic processes and procedures that surround the ending of one monarch's reign and the start of the next. For hundreds of years, uh, when a king dies, the words are said, the king is dead. Long live the king. Now, without context, Those words are meaningless. How can a king be both dead and wished a long life? Uh, The words made a little bit more sense last year when the succession moves from a queen to a king. The queen is dead, long live the king. But in the more common situation, the words make no sense unless you know the context. One king is dead. The new king, his son, is being wished a long life and reign. In this context, the words aren't meaningless, but are full of deep meaning and significance. Saying these words are a declaration of allegiance. You're saying that you will recognise and submit to the new king. You won't be involved in supporting a rival to the throne. Today, Easter Sunday, and actually every Sunday as Christians gather, we're communicating the same but deeper truth the king has died, long live the king, though we mean these words as they actually are. Because at the heart of the Christian faith is the message that the king who has died is the king who lives forevermore. Uh, This is what every biography of Jesus says in black and white, The reasons the biographies affirm that Jesus died and rose again is because that's what the eyewitnesses saw. Uh, The same women who, from a distance, watched Jesus die. On the first day of the week, as the sun is dawning, this is what they see. Uh, Matthew's biography that we've been reading today, Matthew's biography of Jesus, tells us these women go to look at the tomb. Uh, The other biographies add the detail that these women are going to finish the burial process to honour the one they hoped would be God's king. But Matthew focuses on their looking, what they were expecting to see, a tomb. They were going to look at the tomb. Maybe they were going to look and mourn. Maybe they're going to look and ponder how it all ended so wrong. But before they get a chance to look at the tomb, the earth shakes and instead of looking at a tomb, they see the brightness of a shining angel. Are you going to follow along with me from the inside of your bulletin? This is what Matthew records. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The Marys thought that they would stand looking in the new dawn light at the tomb of Jesus, but instead they see a sight that terrifies, petrifies the Roman soldiers. They feel the earth shake. They see the shining angel. There is no doubt God is at work. Uh, This is the second time in three days the earth has shook to its core. Uh, In the darkness, as Jesus dies, the earth shook And now as darkness is broken by light, the earth shakes again. The earth shakes because God is at work. And now the angel speaks. The women came to look at a tomb. But he tells them to take a message, to tell the followers of Jesus to leave, to go to Galilee, to go to the place where they first met Jesus, where they will see not a tomb But Jesus is alive. The Bible says, this is the third paragraph down in the bulletin, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where they lay, where he lay, sorry. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women look, they see where the body has been, and as they race to tell, they get a foretaste of what will, will happen in Galilee. They see Jesus alive. As the final paragraph in the bulletin says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, And worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Twice they've been told, go, tell. There to be messengers, heralds of what God has done. Uh, And twice they're told by the angel, by Jesus himself. Twice they're told, go to Galilee in Galilee they will see now why, why Galilee? It could just be that well this is where it all started. the the disciples, the eleven, Judas is no longer with them. the eleven started following in, Jesus in Galilee it's where they first saw him and where they 'll see him again. It could be that but I think there's more going on than this at the start of Jesus' ministry, as he begins to announce the kingdom of God. Matthew sees an ancient prophecy being fulfilled. I'll put it up on the screen from Matthew chapter 4. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. About 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said, Darkness would be pushed back. The shadow of death itself would be cast off. The light would dawn in Galilee. Why does Jesus say, meet me in Galilee? Because that's where darkness is defeated by light. It began three years prior, but now the light will shine even brighter. It's where the light of seeing Jesus, seeing the one who defeated death, that's where the light must dawn. But not everyone wants to see. When the earth shook and the angel appeared, the soldiers are terrified. Like the earth, they are shaken to the core. Unlike the women, there is no word of comfort. No, do not be afraid for them. They are terrified. But like the women, the soldiers go and tell what they'd seen and heard. They go straight to the Jewish religious leaders and truthfully report everything. But the religious leaders don't want to see. They want to remain in the dark. They want their eyes to remain closed. So they bribe the soldiers to hide the truth. So this carries on from what was printed in the bulletin, but I'll put it up on the screen again. Uh, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you were to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. It must have been a a large amount of money to get them to deny what they'd seen, an earthquake, a stone rolled away, the brightness of an angel. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I wonder how much they paid these soldiers. But the love of money is stronger than the love of truth. And also the love of Comfortable lies is stronger than the love of truth. Because you've gotta wonder how anyone would buy their story. That a troop of soldiers fell asleep at their post, that whilst they were in deep sleep, they saw what happened and can say with confidence, the disciples stole the body. It's not a very believable lie. But when you wanna stay in the dark, it doesn't take much. If you don't want to believe the truth, any lie will do. But the disciples want to see, so they go to Galilee. Um, The other biographies of Jesus, the other gospels, They record events that happened in and around Jerusalem, but Matthew zooms past them to focus on the mountain, on this mountain in Galilee where the light dawns. And when the disciples see Jesus there, they worship him. This is what Matthew records. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, But some doubted. Like the women outside the tomb who fall at his feet in worship, the disciples worship and Jesus receives their worship. In the Bible it's very clear. There's only one we must worship. The only one worthy of our worship is the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel. So who is Jesus to be worshipped? Well, he is the living God. They worship Jesus. He receives their worship, but at the same time, some doubt. I love moments like this in the Bible, moments of authenticity. It's not what you'd record if you were making things up. It's embarrassing that some, some of those who'd followed him from the start, from Galilee, some of them, when they see Jesus, they doubted. They are overwhelmed. They cannot believe their own eyes. Though maybe they're not doubting the fact that Jesus is alive. Maybe they're not doubting the resurrection, what they see and what they can touch. Maybe they doubt their ability to live in a world where the crucified one is alive. To live in a world where God would give of himself, that he would give his son, his own son as a ransom. A world where new life, where resurrection life is now. Can they live in the light of this truth? Maybe that's what they doubt. But Jesus isn't taken back by their doubt. And as God's king, he commands his disciples, go, tell the nations. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. The soldiers were bribed not to tell. Finally, Jesus commands, go, make disciples, baptize, teach. Why? What's so important for the world to know? Well, the resurrection of Jesus is God's yes to the world's no. God's yes to the world's no. On Good Friday, we see the mocking coronation. Without resurrection, we might wonder whether God agrees. Jesus dies in shame, weakness, humiliation. Maybe God agrees with the soldiers, the religious leaders, even the rebels on his left and his right. Without the resurrection, we're left wondering, maybe they are right, maybe Jesus is no king. But the resurrection is the Father and the Spirit's yes to Jesus. God says, yes, the one who eats with sinners, the one who associates with the poor and lowly, the one who came not to be served but to serve, but yet was crucified as a criminal, giving his life as a ransom for many. God says, this one is my king. The resurrection is God's yes to Jesus. Yes, we truly know God in Jesus who was crucified. It is God's yes that we really know him when we know Jesus. The resurrection also tells us that Jesus is our brother. One of the incredible things about how Matthew records the resurrection is he never once calls the risen Jesus Lord or Christ. As Jesus is crucified, he is called over and over again King and Christ. But in his resurrection, when he is vindicated and glorified, at the moment where his divinity seems the most clear, Matthew uses only the personal name, Jesus. At the start, we talked about those words, long live the king. And clearly, the resurrected Jesus is king. He has all authority, but the word is never used as Matthew tells his resurrection. It's always his personal name. And then when Jesus talks to the women at the tomb, he tells them, go tell my brothers not merely disciples or students, but family. This is the invitation of the resurrection, for you and me to know Jesus as brothers and sisters, to see him, to fall at his feet and worship him, not only as our eternal king, but also as our friend, even our brother. The resurrection is an invitation to become children of God through faith in Jesus, to call his father, our father, to call Jesus brother through the presence of his spirit. And Jesus can only do this. He can only call his disciples, call us brothers and sisters, because as we saw on Good Friday, he has given his life as a ransom for many. Through his death, our sin is paid for. So sinners like you and me, we can be called by the risen Lord Jesus, brothers. The words, long live the king, are a declaration of allegiance, saying, this one, the living one, is my king. Will you say this about Jesus, that you'll follow, submit to, trust Jesus as king, that the one who is raised in glory and invites you and me into his family, invites us to call him brother, will you say to that one, long live the king? And for those of us who call on Jesus, because he is crucified and now lives, he promises to be with us always. As we go and tell that Jesus is alive, the promise he first gave to his followers, his first followers, he gives to us. He will be with us always to the end of the age when he comes again. Long live our King. Let's pray. Father God, help us see Jesus, to know Him, to love and trust Him. We praise you that Jesus is alive. Strengthen us to worship Him, even as we may doubt. We praise you that the risen Lord Jesus, the one who has been given all authority, We praise you that we can call him by name and that he invites us to know you as father, to call him brother through the powerful presence of his spirit. Please be opening our eyes to this truth today. Amen.